Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your host, Adrian. And I'm Matt. Hello, Matt. Hello. Each month on Spectology, we pick a book, read it, and talk about it over the course of two episodes. This is our post-read, kind of full of spoilers episode for An Unkindness of Ghosts by River Solomon. Um, so we have a pre-read episode about this book where we talked about it kind of without spoilers, gave context and stuff that released uh, like two weeks ago. You can find it in the feed uh, or at spectology.com, et cetera, et cetera. If you've listened before, you know the drill. Um, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about the book um, pretty in depth. Uh, so there'll be spoilers from the get go. Uh, I think we should maybe also jump straight into like other forms of content warnings in addition oh, to yes. the spoilers because this is a content warning heavy. Yeah, book. this is a <laughs> raw and brutal book. Yeah, <laughs> filled with difficult stuff of filled all with raw brutality. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, the I think to kick that off, like we there's a lot of I mean racism ableism on screen sexism sexual assault rape um just a lot of sort of like general kind of like torture and like Mm -hmm. you know the kind of stuff you get when you have violent social structures um which can be sexual or non-sexual but all kind of like exists in that context of like people with like violent loss of control of their own autonomy uh, and a lot of that also has to do with uh, gender, sex, race, ableism, etc. There's also th- several of the main characters are doctors. And so there's just a lot of like medical stuff that goes on. Yeah. If you are squeamish about that, that's an- yet another thing that you should be warned of. The book starts with like an amputation of like a child's limb. That's the other thing. It's like it's medical stuff sometimes that like involves children. There's like the death of children on screen, which I know like can mm-hmm. particularly bother some people. Uh, and so that that stuff also exists. There's, I think this is like the kind of book we've read that literally any content warning you might think of you can check it off suicide mental illness mm-hmm. yep depression anxiety um all you know, kinds of all kinds of more subtle abuse also i mean it's 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 like a, a slave society is depicted exactly um, and there's so many different kinds of difficult things that go along with that it's almost difficult to enumerate them mhm and i think the other thing we should say about this though is that this is it's not done in a way where that stuff is unexamined. Like it's oh, yeah. all done with purpose and care. Um, so this oh, is yeah. not the kind of warning where it's like, Oh, this book is like really squidgy and doesn't know how squidgy it is. Like the book knows what it's doing. River oh, yeah. Solomon, the author, they know what they're doing. Like it, it's, it's all like it's on purpose and it serves, I think a very good purpose, but I think it's also, there and worth calling out i totally agree with all that by the way and this leads directly into kind of what we thought about it at a high level yeah totally so you know what what did you think of it at a high level dude i really loved it um you know i mean spoilers for like an episode that's coming out later but we've we've kind of like in real time read two really brutal books back to back and it's really interesting the like experience i had of reading those two books was like 
in both cases, a lot of like identific more identification with the book than I normally have. Both books affected me more emotionally than most books do. Um, but the experience I had of this book was like really loving that. And the experience I had of the other book was kind of like hating that experience, even while in the end I kind of like enjoy or not enjoyed the book, but like appreciated the book. Uh, but mm -hmm. in this case, like it was a genuinely like I loved reading this book. Uh, I thought the book was great. I didn't want to put it down. It's the kind of book where I mm -hmm. like purposefully slowed myself down so that I could enjoy reading it instead of just like plowing through it. I, I would, you know, I bring up these content warnings so early too, because I was surprised. Th this is maybe we'll talk about more a little bit later, but as a reader, I tend not to really identify myself in the characters and in like the books that much like books for me i tend to be able to keep a certain amount of remove from and so like the content warnings we do are usually like it's not the kind of stuff that like the stuff t doesn't tend to bother me very much right like i'm not super squidged out by like reading about this kind of stuff but i will say reading like the main character aster there was something about the way that she was described and the way that she narrated and everything that I found myself very affected um, by this book. I, there was one, I don't remember the exact scene, but there was one scene towards the end where I was reading the book and actually like on the subway here in New York. And I had to put it down because I was actually like shaking reading it like in public. Do you remember like roughly where it was? It was, it was towards the end of the book. It was uh -huh. one of the things yeah. kind of like happening towards there's that. There's so and much I, tension. Right. There's so the much end. tension. And like, that's part of it is like the book does a really good job of like building just tension generally without like even kind of setting the brutality aside. It, that stuff really shines through. Um, and yeah, and I found it like, you know, I found this book almost like physically like upsetting isn't the right word, even though it was like in some ways upset, but like physically affecting in a way that books rarely tend to be for me. Uh, and I really appreciated that. And so I'm looking forward to kind of like talking a little bit more yeah, for sure. about the specifics of that stuff. What about you, dude? I also loved it. God, it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I, 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 I think it's very interesting to talk about it in relation to the other book, although I'm going to leave my thoughts for the other book for the other episode. But it's interesting because I loved both. And yeah. and yet I did have a different experience with both, with yeah. each. You know, there are different kinds of difficult. When you think about like a difficult mm -hmm. story to hear or a difficult book to read, there are different ways that something can be difficult. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I thought about when I was reading this. Like it was an incredibly compelling narrative in the sense that it pulled you in and it was propulsive and tense and you really wanted to know what was going to happen next, even as you were also kind of afraid to find out because you really didn't know what was going to happen next mm. because like the most horrible things were all possible in this book. Mm -hmm. And that that's like, that's another thing that I loved about it too. But like, okay, to separate the two things that I want to say at, 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 at a high <laughs> level that I thought about this out, like explicitly on the one hand, I absolutely loved the unflinchingness of the gaze of Rivers Solomon in this book. Like their ability to be to be uh, like honest past the point that it hurts is mm -hmm. so powerful and like so you know like such a such a sort of I really hesitate to 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 think of what adjective to use to describe it. Like I I appreciated it. We'll put it that way. Yeah. I appreciated it and I felt like I got a lot out of it. Um, that was one, that was one of the 
my top two things about it. And the other is this way that it made me think about difficulty itself, the, the way that it made me think about what it means for stories to be tough. Um, like on, on the one hand, a, a story can be tough because it's sort of like kind of viscerally tough where mm -hmm. it's like, you know, you, you, you kind of feel this sort of like sympathy in your own flesh for the flesh of the characters that is being hurt in some mm -hmm. way because of the violence or, or whatever, or you feel sympathy for your, their minds as, as their minds are hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is something this book had, but this book also had a kind of like, uh, what's the, what's, what's a good way to put it? Like a, 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 a total kind of diff, like a, like an ontological difficulty, like where it's like you, you, you are imagining an existential difficulty. That's, that's the best way to put it. There was something about the story and the world it described that make that, that, provided this kind of like more abstract, cold, like scientific horror. Um, it's mm -hmm. the horror of this sort of perfect dystopia, you know, the horror of the like total forever, the, the total eternal slave empire, you know, that that is a very different kind of difficult. Um, it's, a, it's a philosophical or, or, a, or, a, or, a, or a kind of like removed sort of difficulty that that contrasts with the visceral difficulty. Um, but it, both of those were, were parts of this book. And it was an interesting sort of way of experiencing lots of different kinds of difficulty at the same time. And, and, and like, I, I thought a lot about what I, about, I wondered a lot about how I should react to this because there's this one part of me that sort of like wants to revel in this sort of difficulty and to feel like, oh yeah, you know, like I really need to experience this kind of difficult narrative because it will like make me better, which is almost like treating it as though it's a kind of like, um, a religious suffering that like you yeah. have to un undergo in order to like be morally cleansed, which I don't think yeah. is right. Um, but I did feel that temptation and like, it's sort of, it would be wrong to deny that I felt it, but like, there's still the wonder, like what, what do you do with these feelings? Like what, right. you know, and, and it's only well, the most sort of back yeah. a little bit to some of the conversation we had in the pre-read around like this idea of like, if a book is saying something true about hard things, like it will make you feel bad in some way while doing it. And the question of like, is that true or not? Like, to what degree should we let the books do that? To what degree does, like, you know, feeling bad have anything to do with the truth values of the books itself, you know? And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. So it's like, those are questions like, like, like I'm interrupting because like, those are questions that I very much was sort of like grappling with while reading this book as well. And the sense of like, you know, also, it's really interesting to, you know, say that like, oh, yeah, I read this book that is like really brutal and really very much about the like suffering of these characters that I like identified with. And also, I really enjoyed reading the book, right? Like right, those feel course. like two kind of like, like it should be one or the other. And of course, it's it's not. <laughs> but. And, and the story is and the book is so sophisticated that in fact it deals with this issue as well because within yes. the broader narrative there are these sort of mini fables that occasionally come up Amy's stories mm -hmm. and um, some of them in particular are like they, they have different sort of kinds of suffering that are depicted in the mini stories and like Aster reacts to the sort of fables in different ways and sort of mm -hmm. works through different interpretations of them and like even in one case tells you two different versions of the same story about the raven and I, right. I found that to be like such an incredibly like subtle and effective way of dealing with this sort of meta issue of like what do we think about stories like this like what do we think about these difficult stories what do we what are mm -hmm. the different ways we can express our like cry of 
unending like impossible anger at the like insanity and injustice of the situation like right the book itself had something to say about that directly but then it also kind of didn't give you like one answer it was too sophisticated for that Mm -hmm. well and also like you know it it absolutely did that and i love that and then also like even while it's about these like this brutal regime on this ship it's also about how well even the like underclasses on the ship like they have friends they have their own societies like they experience like the full range of human emotions from sorrow to joy like that doesn't make that stuff go away necessarily obviously their lives are harder in a way that they shouldn't be because these systems are bad um but you know i mean like the book is partially like it's both about these characters individually but also about their like relationships with each other and like the relationships are like difficult but also they really love each other Right. Like I think of in particular the relationship between Aster and uh, Gabriella, her her friend. Um, Giselle. Oh, yeah. Giselle. I, I yeah. say Gabriella. Um, yes. Giselle, her friend. And like they're. You know, I mean, like their relationship is one that is like strained throughout the entire book. Yet it's also so clear that they like love each other and care for each other and like want mm-hmm. to like do well by each other, even while they're hurting each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it's very much a book about like how to show up for your friends, <laughs> you know, and oh, like accepting yeah. your friends for like who they are. Um, yeah. The book I don't has know. A, yeah. I think that's that's really that's really that's really true. The book takes a clear stand on what it means to be a good on like on like what a person should do to be a good partner in a relationship regardless Mm. of the type of relationship but also like the book is also like completely aware that everybody fails to do what they need to do (laughs) in all relationships yeah you know like there's no there's no character in this book that doesn't like make a mistake that's super obvious and like in some sense like preventable but like also inevitable due to like their frail human nature right due to people being people who make mistakes Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something I I found to be particularly um difficult to read. Like mm. the 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 ways that people did self-destructive things and made mistakes on screen. Um not <laughs> G- Giselle in particular, but like not just her. Like oh, Astor no. did this and Theo did it and right. you know, to some extent like Amy did it. Um Amy Melazine did it. Um but it was it was like that is uh, another sense in which the book, the, the 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 honesty of the book was like incredibly unflinching. Like it is, it is a sort of rare narrative that depicts mistakes in a way that both makes sense and seems fair to the people. Like fair in the sense that it gets like, yeah, I can see why they would do that, even though it's a mistake, and like I would hope I wouldn't do that in that situation. Like, mm-hmm. f- like it's not like sort of cheating by making it impossible for them to not make the mistake, or right. by making it impossible for them to like avoid me you know what i mean mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's fair but also super sort of like sympathetic and like super warm to to, to the people at all times you know right. it's, it's not like it's not like sort of just this like cold like you know recounting of like the the, the ways that people make mistakes as, as sometimes you find like it's it's this like very delicate balance between kind of warmth on the one hand and like 
precision on the other mm -hmm. in the way that it depicts the way people fail. Like right. <laughs> I was well, so impressed book, by that. The book is like able to have a lot of compassion for its characters, but it's not always willing to grant all characters compassion, which I think mm. is, is a, is a, good thing right like the book has a stance on like these characters are actually worthy of compassion even as they make mistakes and these characters are like so tied into the system and bought into the system that like they're not right and essentially like the more power you have in the system the less compassion you are deserving of to some degree um in a way that like feels very authentic to me in a way that feels very like you know, the system harms everyone, but the ways in which it harms people is different. And the like power you have within the system to mitigate those harms are different. And so like, mm -hmm. just because the system harms you doesn't mean that like you're deserving of compassion if you had the ability to step away from those harms. <laughs> yeah, so true. I, I have a, a question that I want to ask you. Yeah. Um, it's not really a put you on the spot question. It's like, what did you think of this question? Uh -huh. Like, um, you know, so... So this is a science fiction podcast and you're like this book <laughs> is like, it really <laughs> <laughs> right of course I know right this book is like I think pretty clearly in like no one would question that it's sci-fi type of territory because it like totally. takes place entirely on a spaceship and like doesn't have any magic and like is all sci you know science totally. etc but the the kind of power of the narrative and the like realness of the characters and the like intensity with which you experience the the story through their 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 eyes is such that I almost like sometimes when I think about it I forget the science fictional elements and I wondered like do you feel that way do you feel like oh, that stuff almost becomes like backgrounded because the characters are so real or do you feel like that's like not the right way to look at it or I don't know what do you think yeah well all I mean like you know. I don't want to say that your experience is like wrong or anything like that. So I'll just talk about my experience, but my Word. experience was very different um, in that I like for me, the science fictional elements and the like psychological realism of the characters were like just tied together, you know, mm -hmm. in the pre-read, mm -hmm. I like talked about this book. I like compared it favorably um, to dark Eden, Chris Beckett's mm -hmm. book that we read. And like that to me, that, there's something fundamental about that comparison that like holds up even having like finished the novel where like in both cases, there are these books that are very much about the like psychological reality of the characters and are really like concerned with the internal lives of the characters, even while they're in systems that like are not just like fantastical because they're different from the way you and I live our life, but are actually fantastical because they're different from the way you and I could possibly live our life in the modern world, mm -hmm. right? Like they're set in these settings that just like fundamentally the settings. I mean, obviously there are like the setting pulls elements from the like transatlantic slave trade from you know, any sort of like theological, whether it be like the deep South or Saudi Arabia, you know, like it, it pulls from all these real world places and things and social structures, but it puts it together in a way. It's this generation ship. It is an entirely, I mean, one of the really interesting things is that there's like no natural world, right? Like even when they're in the fields, they're in a completely, built designed mm -hmm. mechanical mm -hmm. metal 
like construct. Like the characters are always inside a metal construct. And like, that's an integral part of the like feeling and an integral part of their internal thought processes, right? Like mm -hmm. their psychological reality includes these things that are these science fictional aspects. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, you know, there's like types of science fiction where I don't feel that way about it, where it's psychologically real, but also it's like, it's more about the characters than the setting. Like, sure. Here, mm -hmm. it's just that like this characters don't exist independently of their setting. And the setting mm -hmm. is so rich and fully realized and purposeful and like both, both literal and like real and also metaphorical and like loaded with meaning. Yeah, totally. That they that I, it all just works together. It's one thing for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose for me, uh, I I don't disagree with any of that. I I think my experience was, you know, I felt the setting was like a really effective literalization of a complicated and kind of like highly interpretable vision of like what it means for a slave society to exist and like how slave society works, because there's there's a kind of like arbitrary element to the construction of such a society like for such a society to exist it must have been constructed and for it to have been constructed it must be made out of parts it must be wholly artificial and like mm -hmm. there's a, a way that the ship sort of literalizes that idea but it also is more than that because it represents like in some sense the dream of a different society that like became something it wasn't intended to be or perhaps some people didn't intend it to be but others did the ship mm -hmm. also represents this idea of a slave ship which absolutely you know right. as a whole yeah, that's a whole that's a whole that's a whole thing which i think is is sort of highly interpretable in its own right 100% but it also represents this idea of like a millenarian society having a sort of apocalyptic goal in mind you know this is a theocratic state that believes in like a kind of apocalypse rapture or an apocalypse happening mm -hmm. at some future point that like is somehow specified without being you know made precise mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so it represents a lot of things simultaneously, but I guess in a sense, my experience was that it was so uh, highly like charged with different kinds of representations that I didn't even see the ship, you know, like I, I, yeah, I almost wasn't even thinking about the ship. I was thinking about all these different ways of interpreting the ship, you yeah, know? Right, right, right. Yeah. But, but, but like, it's also true that like, this is a story about people in a spaceship and like, it matters in the story that they're in a spaceship. Like things right. happen, such as the ship like suffering blackouts because there's a course correction going on that they have to discover is happening. You know, that could only happen in a spaceship, which right. is really cool. And like that adds this whole other layer of the story, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think in that way, you know, again, like I, I think you and I had slightly different experiences of the book and that it makes a lot of sense to me. But for me, it was like the literal aspects of the ship always kind of came first and i think some of that was like me not wanting to there were times where it was like it would have maybe been easy to jump to like oh like this is obviously an analogy for that you know like the mm -hmm. they are in these like lower decks in the berths of this these ships and that's an analogy for like the fact that like the slaves in the transatlantic slaves mm -hmm. trade like lived and died in the like lower berths of like those ships right and it's mm -hmm. like but it's like i 
really wanted while I was reading it to shy away from like the easy analogies. Oh yeah. No, I, I don't mean to say that as I read it, that's all I thought. I mean, totally, totally. It was more that it was more that like, I saw this, like I kept, <clears throat> I guess I had the experience of sort of like almost like noticing all of the, all of the science fictional elements, but like my attention was so strongly drawn into the yeah. minds of the people that right. I didn't think about that a lot even as it was happening around the book that I was most reminded of was Colson Whitehead's underground railroad because right. that is a read. So it's a, it's a, it's not in a lot of ways. It's, it's, it's a complicated comparison because mm -hmm. I mean, there's like a really easy comparison to make, which is that they're both about slave societies and like right. adding science fictional elements to that. Right. And written like, by African-American authors. Below, Cetera, yeah, but just below that level, it's a much more complicated comparison to make because, like, they're they're very, they're very different books, and I think the 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 main thing that actually drove this comparison home to me was the ending, which I just want to say one thing about. Maybe we'll talk more about it. I'm interested also in your opinion, but I think you know there's this idea that there's 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 a an incredible harshness and rawness to. Um, the feeling of the characters about their own situation. And one gets the sense, I, I get the sense that like Rivers of Solomon has the same view about this narrative. The, the, the book itself perhaps has this this view about the, the narrative that like there's no, there's never going to be an easy ending to this. There's never going to be like a mm -hmm. cathartic moment of release. Mm -hmm. But if there is any hint of such a thing to be found, it is to be found in like leaving behind this society in its entirely and making some new thing elsewhere. Yeah, that yeah. move, that sort of move away, and that's a that's a thing that you know, Underground Railroad is sort of also interested in, although in very different ways. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a move that I think is a very interesting. That's a, it's an interesting move. You know, there's a lot of real history of people having, like, I think um, it's a like revolutionary outlook. It's definitely a revolutionary outlook, but it's also like, it's also like you know, some people. It, I, I interpret it as some people feeling that revolution or no, you know, revolutionary success or no, the only way for me to ever have any peace is just to leave. Like I cannot, even after a successful revolution, I cannot be here. Interesting. What do you think about, about this? Yeah, no, that's a, I see where you're coming from with that. I don't want to guess at what is going on in River Solomon's own head. Sure, you sure, know, sure. Which I know you're not trying to do, but it's it's why I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pausing it's for saying. a moment before yeah, before yeah. answering. Yeah, I, um, I, when I when I sort of try to put words in the author's mouth, I really kind of mean, and that's why I kind of corrected myself. I mean to say like the book because I feel like, right. If anything is expressing a view, it's the book, which is not the same as the author. And T totally, totally, I'm not it's even like, sure that it's that's like what's your interpretation you know? of the text, not right, like right, right. Your psychoanalyzing the author. So and and I get that, but that's also why I'm I'm like, you know, my kind of interpretation of the text was maybe one where like. You know, and, and maybe this just comes down to my own biases. Um, I'm, I'm sure it does, which are like, you know, on the revolutionary end of things overall. But also like a lot of that is wanting to like make things better here, not to like even if there's a revolution, like I still have to go elsewhere. Like, no, the whole point is to like make things better here. So I don't have to leave. Cause I fucking deserve this space too. God damn it. <laughs> you know, like that's the yeah. way I kind of look at the world. 
Um, and so I think there is something, you know, but I think there's something to that. I mean, again, spoiler podcast. So like we caught but like, you know, at the end, she does leave the ship. Like mm-hmm. she gets to earth and there's a sort of like open question of like, will others be able to like, it does. Yeah, will she go back anything? or not? Right. You know, will, will, will the human race even survive? Cause there's also, mm-hmm. there is a true element of like a full scale revolution when there are only like tens of thousands of human beings left on a, like ultimately relatively fragile artificial construct, like flying through the like harsh reality of space. Like, there's a world in which that revolution does like eventually spell the end of the human race. Right. And that's something that is like left unresolved. Yeah. And, I, or, and actually when I, I think like when I think of other books that are kind of like, like that have that theme in particular that we've read, the one that comes up is uh, the Ballad of black Tom by Victor Laval. Right. Where it's like one of the questions I think that that book asks is like, at what point is it like, you know, at what point is Tommy Tester's willingness to like bring a power about the apocalypse, like a somewhat relatable decision? Like at what point is his decision that like, you know what, everything is so bad. So let the old ones come. Like at what point is that a decision that like we can identify with and we can understand? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a real strength of this book that it, it sort of is engaging. Like, it, it, I don't think it has one answer to like, what do we think about revolution, you know, to that question. But I do think it like engages very seriously with a range of emotional responses that's a lot wider than than what's typical. And like mm-hmm. Giselle is in the definitely like or at least like more likely to be in the camp of kill them all, which I believe she says at one point. Right, right, <laughs> Just right. kill them all. Destroy the ship. Right. Um, you know, I, I think I think one of the reasons um, I interpreted it as one of the reasons Astor took Giselle was that she thought that Giselle would have wanted to leave. Um, Giselle would not have wanted her body to remain on the ship. She would have been, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. she would have, she would have kind of much preferred to like never to like not rest on the ship, so to speak. Right. The ship, the ship was like something she only wanted to destroy. Um, that's one opinion. And, and meanwhile, I think like Theo, it's very difficult to imagine him leaving. He yeah. doesn't seem the sort to leave. You know, he seems the sort to, like, when he is finally pushed past the breaking point, he will fight for his patch of ground, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and he will die fighting. Whereas someone else perhaps would feel, you know, like they would feel like the trauma affected them in such a way that there's really no thing that they want to fight for. They're too, they're, they're, maybe too damage is the wrong way to put it. They're, they're, they're um, affected in such a way that they don't want to fight. Like that's not the thing that they're pushed that their that their passion screams to them. Um, mm-hmm. And Astrid almost feels like she's kind of like caught between these things. Like she she has some other view, or she has a more complicated view, or you know. There's, but what's interesting to me is the way that like leaving the ship is something is like is this complicated. There's a complicated, there's a lot of different ways to look at the decision to leave the ship and the decision to like have humanity try to leave the ship. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. in the one Mm -hmm. sense, the ship represents like the old ways and leaving the ship would just be like a new society or like a revolution or something like that. In another sense, it's like this impossible dream. Like you can't leave the ship in any more than you can leave history. Well, that's not something you can leave. This is where maybe like your and my interpretation of the text because of the way we read it just like differs where like 
sh- sure, but but also like the reality of the world that like River Solomon built is that they're on a generation ship trying to find a home for themselves on the planet, mm-hmm. and like Aster figured out a way to do that. <laughs> like the, yep. the science fictional element, like beyond any of the allegory yeah. of it, is like there's also this kind of sat satisfying to some degree end of like Aster figured it out. She figured out how to get yeah. back to earth. And like her yeah. mother obviously was a part yeah. of that. And there's all this other stuff going on, but like, and that in itself is like worthwhile. Like even if in our own real world, there's no like, like earth doesn't represent anything because mm-hmm. there is no other place. But like, yeah, the ending of the book is also like satisfying and like works partially because like, she did it even if it's just for her in that one moment and like the rest of humanity can't get there or it's like they still do but it's still like things are bad even when they get to earth whatever like fuck it all that put aside like she did actually succeed Mm -hmm. in getting them back to earth and like that is like a win in and of itself and like yeah you know beyond again this is where it's just like it is also a science fiction book (laughs) yeah no no i i I know i i I, and and like that's all true and like i i i think that's really cool too and like that's like a whole other layer of it to me that i did i did experience to some extent like i just i'm just like so fascinated by all the all the different ways of like thinking about right thinking about how the story feels when you look at it under different lights Right. You know, like what, it, what it, it's like an optical illusion when you, when you move the mirror, you know, like you see, it, I just love moving the mirror, you know, like it's right. so cool. Um, so I, I, uh, yeah. So yeah. it's interesting <laughs> that you, you know, kind of focus on this big society wide stuff so much, because when I was reading the book, like the stuff that I really glommed on to in terms of, you know, I, I mean, it's, and it's usually stuff that's like in the text, it's not even metaphorical so much, but was about like how these like you know, neural divergent characters like interacted with each other, how their own experiences of the world, like were different from each other's, um, you know, like Theo's like transness, uh, Aster being on the like Asperger spectrum somewhere, um, the autism spectrum somewhere, like how they're sort of like, you know, different sorts of psychology and like, you know, experience of the world, like changed fundamentally who they were, but also they're still able to relate to each other. And like, I don't know, that was the stuff that I think I really focused on the most and would like, I found really interesting and also, you know, again, kind of like, you know, relatable is maybe the wrong word, but like the kind of stuff that I could identify with, I I will say this. I was like, really deeply surprised the degree to which like I identified with Aster Mm -hmm. because like on paper that's you know not necessarily some something like I would I would identify with right like an intersex like autistic woman like okay those are not things that I (laughs) you know am and so but there was something about the way that she like her outlook on the world you know, I think some of it is that there's this like added layer of like anxiety and in terms of like someone with, with like generalized anxiety disorder, like it was some of the better writing about anxiety and anxiety coping mechanisms that I've read in a long time. And like with sort of this way of like, yeah, you can have anxiety and like both be paralyzed and high functioning at the same time. Like those yeah. <laughs> like yeah. easily a lot of people do that shit <laughs> um but also that often doesn't get like written about very well um and 
also just sort of this sense of like, you know, the ways in which she like the ways that she kind of interacted with like the social fabric and social reality around her, which was very, you know, kind of like had to be consciously done. It's not something that she like pattern recognizes as easily as like the kind of like neurotypical or whatever you want to call it. Um, most people, whatever. Um, and, but like that also, you know, I mean, there's, I, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before. Um, I was homeschooled for like a good chunk of like growing up. Um, I, I really only started going to school around like middle school, which is the worst possible time to start going to school. Um, you know, yep. it's sort of like both everyone has kind of like learned the fundamentals of like existing in this kind of like society of being a bunch of children and they're going through this like extra kind of change on top of it. So instead of having just like that one change, I had to deal with both of them of like learning how to be like a social person in these like big, like lots of people like political situations. Cause you know, kids are very political, like that stuff. It's all like social clicks. It's all, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I felt as a kid, especially that I had to like learn that stuff very consciously, not due to any sort of like, you know, difference in like my neurology, but due to a difference in like my upbringing and like when I learned it, it was like learning a language by learning it instead of acquiring it in some ways. Um, and so like reading from her point of view, the way that she like looked at the world, it was just a sort of like, um, I know, man, it was really, it was a really kind of like nice change of pace in some ways to like have this character who was like both very different from me, but also that I like identified with and had these like clear ins for like how to identify with them. And also like, you know, like, or Giselle is someone who I like have very little to identify with there, but the like compassion that like Aster showed Giselle, like knowing that like, oh, she has her own things that she's dealing with and she also sees the world differently from the way I do but like still deserves compassion through all that um was really even when she does the like <laughs> the things that she knows are going to be absolutely the most hurtful to you right exactly exactly um you know and it and I don't know and so like that was the stuff that I really glommed on to and again some of this is just like you know, being egotistical of like, it's the stuff that I could identify with and understand the easiestly. So it's the stuff that I really focused oh, on. But yeah, you know. I, 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 I don't, I didn't not like that. I like that. No, very I know. Much. I, I, I'm not yeah, saying anything I, I, about I, you. I'm just like, <clears throat> you know, it's like that, that was the stuff that for me, like really kind of like had the emotional tenor and that I focused yeah. on instead of the kind of like setting wide allegorical stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to say that I like liked some of this more than others of it. I, I also found Aster to be like an incredibly compelling character. Mm -hmm. um, and I think something you just said is sort of like makes it clear why I guess I really liked her yeah. in a way that I don't always like characters even in books that i want them to succeed in like even in a book where i like sort of am rooting for the character i may not like them in the same way aster was somebody who i i i would want to know and i would want to 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 be friends with in a weird way like mm, it's hard to i yeah i i i i kind of am just realizing this right now but but i i don't i don't 
know how many characters in books that we've read on this show or, in, you know, even in general, like yeah. I, I feel the same way about, you know, it's, it's much more common to feel like, oh, you, you think they're cool or you're, you're kind of wishing that they would succeed or you're, you know, right. you're feeling like you they're want them to fail. They're interesting or they're, yeah. you know, they're yeah. the most interesting person in the world or, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. But it's rare to encounter somebody that sort of feels like somebody you could know and maybe would want to. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a really... It's a really cool feeling. It makes you want to spend time with them in a way that that's interesting. It's sort of almost like regardless of what happens to them, even when they're suffering enormously, you you want to be around them. And so you kind of want to stick around mm -hmm. and see what happens, you know? Well, and it's a testament to Solomon's writing that like you have this character who that you as the reader feel that way towards. Like, I would like to spend time with them. And so all these other characters who are all constantly like, I would like to spend time with you. And she doesn't get it. It like gives mm -hmm. you this like, yeah, I do see why these other characters mm -hmm. like want to spend time with you, even while you're like at times abrasive and like also just like fucking clueless about the fact that they want to spend yeah. time with you, you know, and like that is that is also something that is very, you know. Yeah, I guess both like relatable and also just like nice to see on screen. Right. This kind of mm -hmm. sense of like. You know, because you definitely get the thing where it's like, oh, yeah, the character who everyone likes and like wants to be with. And you're like, yeah, but I don't feel any of that. I'm just being told right. to feel exactly. that. Exactly. I'm not being That's, shown why to feel yeah. that at all. That's and the so most this is common. Such a good way of, you know, yeah. it's so good. I so agree. <laughs> I so agree. It's like, like what it's, was it in the in the Sparrow where it's like the characters oh are constantly laughing at each other's jokes. And I'm there like that shit is dumb and not funny. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know? like a huge number of jokes that Astrid makes are like incredibly fun. Like when she's play acting being the husband. Oh my God. That's so funny. Like, <laughs> and then really? it, it instantly seems funny. No no, 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 no. It starts out funny okay. and then it instantly becomes horrifying right. when Giselle makes her hit her. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I found that stuff like scathing, not necessarily funny. Like in a, in a like, oh, like, it, yeah, like that's the sense, like satire, right? Like it's, right. it's, it's this very perceptive, take on like like just as the other characters you know are sort mm -hmm. of you know noting like it, it's this like very accurate perceptive take on what like high class people are and mm -hmm. how they act you know mm -hmm. oh absolutely 100 percent. so i just watched um parasite last night i don't know if you've heard of i this. have i have oh. seen it oh you've seen it i mean like I, as I was watching that, I was like, or like afterwards in particular, I was like looking forward to like talking about this book because that is a, you know, very good type of like scathing, not like at times hilarious and at times not funny at all um, satire of mm -hmm. like similar kinds of relations, right? Like there's not literal slavery. It's like mediated through like capitalism as opposed to a slave society. But there's still that sense of, you know, like the one family having to like be parasites on the other family parasites, so to speak. Um, I, I don't want to get too deep into it in case like listeners haven't seen the movie, but like it's good. Go see it. Like do it while it's in theaters. It's worth watching. Um, Bong, Bong Joon-ho is the director and writer. Yeah, I think that's an interesting comparison. I I don't want to talk too much about that movie for the same reason. So maybe we'll leave it yeah, at that. Yeah. I'll tell you what I what I think about that later. But but um 
Yeah, th- this this the, the 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 skill required to craft a portrayal of a character like Aster is enormous. And it's it's something that like an enormous number of authors fail to do effectively even if they're trying to. Mm-hmm. And so it's mm-hmm. just like incredibly impressive, especially because most of the time when you're reading it, you're not like thinking about the machinery behind the person. You're just thinking about the person, right? You're, you're not thinking about the machinery of the sort of literary machinery that had to go into creating Aster. You're just like thinking about Aster. Um, no, I would say I was thinking about the literary machinery of like all the characters pretty frequently in so much as I think I understand what you mean by that term. I mean, like the skill required to write that. Yeah, yeah, that was a thing yeah. that was on the forefront of my mind while I was reading it uh, a lot. Okay. <laughs> it's just really interesting. Like you and I had like a very sort of like different experience of this novel in a way that is like like I, I think you're massively exaggerating the difference here. I, I I'm not trying to I mean you keep to, talking about stuff that I'm like in a, in retrospect, like, oh yeah, like, I totally see that. And like I feel like I keep doing the same thing with you. Yeah, like I no, but I I, I I identify with everything you're saying. I it's just sort of like something that I wouldn't have thought to say. Like I, I think there's not really a difference here. It's just like we're different people, so we're sort of saying different things about it. But like I I pretty much identify with everything that you you say about it. It's it's yeah, I wouldn't even know how to characterize like the so-called difference between what we think about the book. It's, it's, it's more like, I don't think it's about thinking about the book. I think it's like the experience we had of reading it. Right. Like, like those are two different things, right? Well, yeah. I mean, we have different experiences no matter what we do. I I don't, I I guess I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm not sure what that means. I just feels like we kind of focused on different aspects of the novel as like the things that were interesting to us while we were reading it. Well, I mean, like I'm saying stuff that perhaps you wouldn't say in a, or like in a different order, but, but like everything that you said moved you was very moving to me. Like I, mm-hmm. I also like thought about Aster a lot specifically as I was reading the book. I wasn't, I wasn't like spending the whole time thinking about society. Like, right. I, I, and I thought about Giselle a lot and I thought about, you know, Annie Melazine and Theo and, and all the other characters and even even the sort of minor ones like the r- sort of immediacy of the of the direct experiences of the characters was like was like a big part of the book. And it's like, you know, that was a big part of what I was thinking about when I was reading it, too. I mean, I kind of, you know, I have a different sort of like set of things that I kind of like glom onto like as sort of. Th- it's not even that so much i mean it's it almost just feels like a different order like it's a permutation rather than like a Hmm. a different um Mm -hmm. some sort of massively different thing but i don't know perhaps there's something that like perhaps there's something perhaps there's something else i i i maybe maybe there is a a, you know something in there i i'm not sure right Anyway, I don't mean to get too caught up on that. I just, um, I, I, you know, I, I find it interesting because like both of us seem to have been like kind of in love with this book. Oh yeah. I loved it. And, but also like in, in, in maybe whether it's focusing on or like having a different order of like what we loved about it, like it kind of gets to this, this point that you made earlier of it being somewhat like a uh, kaleidoscopic of it, like, or like, like a hologram, like there's all these different angles from which you can look at it and it will like yeah. look different from those different angles, but still be the same thing. Yeah. Like when I think about it, it's like super rich and dense and I almost don't even know where to start talking yep. about like the things I like or like what I thought about it, you know, like it's just this yep. like, 100%. you know, mass of different 
I have a mass of different reactions to different parts of it. And so, and, and so like, you know, it's, it's very easy to find amid that mass, like, you know, agreement right. with things that you've said, you know what I mean? So it's like, so here's the thing that I wanted to, you know, th- this is something that in doing research, cause both while reading it and afterwards, I read some of what river Solomon wrote about the, um, wrote about the novel and the process of writing it and the way that they kind of like conceive of it and everything. And one thing that was really interesting was they mentioned that like a lot of readers didn't recognize that Theo was trans that like, well, he goes by he, him Hmm. pronouns in the whole novel. And that's, that's what we've been doing that he's actually a trans woman. And like, you're at least like trans feminine. Um, and just sort of like, that's not a category that like exists for him and is allowed Mm -hmm. to exist for him within the system. And, um, that I found really fascinating. I was curious about your experience of this because like that was just like immediately clear to me that that's what was going yeah. on. And it was super surprising to me that anyone could have missed that. I, I thought it was interesting because I thought I, I read it as being ambiguous on that score. I read it as being like, well, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Interesting. You know, does it even matter? You know? Right. Um, And I think it's it's kind of like I can see how people would not see that because people don't see that in real life all the time <laughs> you know like oh, fair enough so fair enough. i don't know i mean i think it is interesting the way in which it like the the sort of the idea of like how do you write when when you're writing fiction you have the opportunity to like include or or exclude whatever set of details you want yeah totally so you can kind of precisely modulate how you how much information you want to give about somebody about a character mm-hmm. that you're describing mm-hmm. and so it's very interesting to think about like what like the the exact way that 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 solomon has produced this this character is is such that you know i now i want to go back and look and see if there is any ambiguity at all maybe it's just like explicit i i'm not sure i don't remember right. i i only remember sort of thinking about the extent to which um, because it's a sort of science fictional society uh, that's different from any real society, there is a way that like categories that exist in, in any real society can be sort of like slightly different or like right. recognizable. But, right, exactly. And right. and so I, I kind feel of, that way, especially about the like, you know, like calling Aster like uh, uh, autistic or on the autistic spectrum in any way, like feels like weird and wrong a little bit like yeah I'm, you know like i'm doing this kind of like psychoanalysis of this person who like one is not a real person but two also like in so much as they are like exists within a framework where like those aren't categories right. that they have right right um so it's kind of this there's this complicated thing where you know on the one hand there are some terms that are very recognizable terms you know slurs and stuff that get used in the book um mm-hmm. but it's a fictional society and and it's like mostly like in a lot of cases the terms are like very sort of seem like they're exactly the same as the terms that we would use like the the words that's the words are the same words and and they're used in the same ways but it's not always clear that that's true and Mm -hmm. there's enough sort of hint of difference here and there that that um it creates this really interesting sort of like sense of of defamiliarization even when we're encountering something that seems like it might be exactly the same it's like well Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Maybe I should rethink the way I think about the thing in the real world. You know, that mm-hmm. that sense of defamiliarization is is a really cool literary device that I really like. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it's done very effectively and sort of subtly and like only via this kind of precise modulation of detail that I find really impressive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... um. That is really interesting. And I think that that is a, you know, it's funny because like I said, like when I was reading it, like I, I, to me, it didn't feel ambiguous. It didn't feel ambiguous to me that he was, you know, a trans woman given that that is a label that he doesn't have. And, you know, but, Mm -hmm. but is like, that's the kind of like general thing that he fits within. Um, but also, I also experienced that same defamiliarization at the same time where it's like, it's completely unambiguous to me, like kind of like what's going on in his just like internal lived experience. Um, but also that like this, you know, it's like these categories are both about our internal lived experience and also about the way that we like self-identify in the world and also the way the world identifies us right? Like there's nothing inherent about even like man and woman as categories, right? Um, That it just is the way that we tend to categorize ourselves in like across humanity. Um, And so there is that, like, I absolutely feel that while also like it was just, it's just interesting to me, this kind of thing of like, you know, that there's this wide, you know, even while River Solomon has, you know, like chose what information to give us about Theo and his internal point of view and how he feels about himself and how others view him, uh, the slurs that other people right? Like clearly people clock that there's something different about him. Even while he's, he is like, you know, is identified by the society as a man and like sleeps with women. He is like clocked as like gay right as just like queer in some kind of like grander scheme right right um but but because they don't have the you know this sense of like oh well it's actually that he's trans instead it's just like well he's he's gay right like it's just this sort of like whatever catch-all for that which is just an interesting kind of like you know like it, it, it's always interesting to me seeing that because like, you know, you and I grew up, at least uh, especially I grew up in a time in a place where like the idea of like being trans was like not something spoken about, like being gay was spoken about even if it was like wrong and bad, whereas like trans just like may as well have not existed as a category. Um, and so that kind of experience of like, yeah, not like this person doesn't fit within the gender binary that we have like defined, but because we can't eat, like we can't even see that. So we'll like find some other way to like, well, it's because they have the, you know, it's, it's because of their sexuality, not because of their gender. So we will like, you know, use slurs that like are in relation to that. I always something really interesting about that, that made like a lot of sense to me and that I felt like, yeah, that I, I, I just like, I saw that was like, yeah, that seems very like true. Right. And not even in an allegorical sense in a way that just like that feels like an experience I've had. Right. Like that feels like a thing that I've seen with my own eyes. Um, That's really interesting. Another. So another kind of like um, specific part of the book that I thought was really fascinating and wanted to get your like your reaction to. There's a moment where while Aster is sort of. um dressed up as a as a man what, what did she go by Aston I think yeah, something like Aston. that um 
she gets in a fight with another man and they have this like really interesting experience of like both being really aggressive and she ends up like hurting him really badly, like crippling him. So he probably won't be able to like walk easily for the rest of his life. Um, because he was, you know, legitimately because he was threatening her. Yeah. Um, he was threatening to it. kill her. Right. Right. <laughs> but also he was threatening to kill her partially because he thought that she was making light of his sexuality, which wasn't clear until after. Right, exactly. Yeah. But it was this really interesting thing of like, you know, their reaction to each other, the like just complete mm-hmm. lack of understanding that goes, mm-hmm. right? Like, again, it goes back to this like, it's a mistake that she makes. And it's like one that is like very reasonable and understandable oh, yeah. given the situation she was in. But it's also like a mistake that she made. Oh, yeah. Um, this, that's That was a great moment. I absolutely like was like bowled over by that moment because it's it was really unexpected you know like it would have been so easy for that that fight and that whole interaction to just be like oh like he he he, that wasn't why he was you know threatening her there was some like other reason you know it would have i was expecting there to be some other reason i was expecting it to just be because everyone else was sort of making fun of her you know right (laughs) and and he was you know ganging up on her too or something um or he had a bad day or whatever, you know, there was any number of other reasons, but to make that, to, to have that be how the, how the, how the, um, fight is actually explained is like really interesting. And it reminded me of, I, I really, really love this. There's a book called gay New York by George Chauncey, which is a history of, uh, like ideas and representations of homosexuality in New York city. Um, and it's like an amazing book that I, uh, that I always like think of when I think about like this stuff because it describes, you know, the ways that people um, kind of enacted desire for the ways that like people who identified as men enacted desire for other men and like lived in society and like the different kinds of social mm-hmm. constructions that they had at different times and places in New York. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, like there were a lot of times and places when like things like like th- there there was no there there were either very different common identities that were such that it was no real good way for people to have solidarity if even if they shared that identity yeah or there was no common identity and like there was also no way for them to have solidarity like the sort of sense of solidarity that comes from having this sort of shared identity that people like agree on and like a shared set of conventions that people agree on and enables you to do things like perhaps potentially avoid this kind of conflict um and it's really it's it's and yet like even with the shared identity of course you could still have this sort of conflict and and it's just this like incredibly complicated nexus of different you know historical realities and and kind of you know fictional retelling of historical realities and i don't know there's so much going on there we could spend hours talking about right. that one set of scenes you know right well i i think you make a really good point there i mean it's one of the you know sort of like radical and like revolutionary things of you know kind of creating the like lgbtq plus identity as not just like it's not just like gay people are with gay people and lesbians are with lesbians and like trans people exist separately it's like no it's like all of these different ideas it's not that we are the same it's not that we have the same experience but we should be allies to each other um you know and when you see you know radical feminists trying to like remove the T from LGBTQ like that is because they know that splitting that up like eventually you know 
I mean, that's a very reactionary way of working within the world and one that will like be make everyone worse off at the end of the day, um, unless you're a shitty conservative turf, in which case, you know, fuck off. But, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, it's like it's really interesting to see that kind of stuff play out in this like kind of fictional landscape where, where you're right. It's it is about, you know, not having the language. It's also about fear, right? Like. Aster is in a place where she is like legitimately kind of in danger of being found out in this one particular way. So all she's thinking about is that. Mm -hmm. And so not actually paying attention as much to like the social situation going on around her. And so begins to start, you know, I mean, some of it is brought on by like this guy gets a little aggressive towards her. And so she starts kind of like she's like well i'm dressed up as a man so i'll like use male language and like Mm -hmm, that language mm -hmm. tends to be homophobic so i'll use this homophobic Mm -hmm. language and that like sets him off because it's actually he's afraid in the same ways that she Mm -hmm. is because Mm -hmm. he too has like had the experience of like having like violence against him because of homophobia right and so it's like they're both afraid in these same ways and like but still playing out the scripts that like society wants them to play out not playing out their own scripts exactly it's such a beautiful depiction which it feels weird to say because it's in always ugly as depicted but like it's this amazingly well done depiction of of exactly that trap you know Mm -hmm. that and then of course you know his friend comes to like rape her (laughs) in and like conceives of it as like defending him Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. uh the 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 man who she cripples is ty and then his friend is this other guy i can't remember his name yeah but the friend of ty comes to like rape you know ask her as rape a way castrate. of castrate i i thought it was just castrate her well i i, I was thinking that he, he was like pulling down his pants but anyway like right well he did but I, I thought the whole threat was like i'm going to cut your like genitalia off no, nah, I'm going to rape uh, This you. is very graphic, but I, I thought that he pulled down his own pants because he was going to also. Oh, that might be true. That might be true. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah. Uh, but it's like. I the, mean, it's a graphic novel. Yeah. Like, there's not ways to like get around <laughs> yeah. talking about some of the stuff. Yeah. It's just hard to talk about. So, yeah. um, but anyway, he, he could sort of conceive of that as like somehow being like he was like on his, on Ty's side trying to like get revenge. Right. You know, on, on, the, on behalf of Ty because right. Ty was just this like victim. You know? Yep. Yep. No, no, a hundred percent. And it's, you know, again, it's these ways of like, you know, kind of like playing out these like oppressive, like societal scripts instead of like working against them. And it's really, you know, yeah, it's like that stuff is, you know, I mean, and it's hard and uncomfortable because it's definitely, it's stuff that like I have done in my life. I mean, not, (laughs) not raped someone in order to like try to protect the honor of my friend or whatever, like not literally, but it's like that kind of like playing out society's scripts. Yeah. In a way that ultimately does like everyone, including myself more harm. Right. Enacting toxic masculinity because it's all around you and you're trying right. to copy everything. Absolutely. Right. Enacting homophobia or transphobia yep. without even realizing it potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like seeing that on screen in that way, seeing that, you know, sort of like on the page in that way and from the protagonist, right? Like it's our protagonist mm-hmm. doing this, the person yeah. that we've talked about how much we yeah. like them and want to spend time with them. Right. right. Um, and then has to like sit with these feelings of like, I've done this like bad thing. Mm hmm. 
And like, I still yeah. have to like work through it and like exist within the world. Like I can't let that cripple me, but also I can't just be like, well, he started it, but like, it's not that easy. Yeah. And she doesn't, she doesn't think that it is, but it's, it's just, it's, it's so, it's so complicated and subtle and well done. I, I'm, I'm just incredibly impressed over and over again, whenever I think about various details of this book at how well it was constructed. It's this, you know, amazing kind of piece of art like you know the 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 way that aster the way that the kind of the pace of how aster's thoughts move on from like that to the next thing mm -hmm. a moment that i really liked is the moment when she's in her botanarium and she's feeling really upset after the child is executed mm -hmm. um before flick, flick something yeah like something that. like that um and, and and so she's feeling really upset and, and Aunt Melusine comes to, to talk to her and they have this, you know, very angry interaction where like no catharsis is had, <laughs> mm -hmm, you know. Mm -hmm. And at some point after that, there's this moment where Aster is like, OK, enough pity. It's time. Like she's sort of pulled out of her her anger and and self-pity and depression and everything by this piece of information about. Uh, her mother and her mother's like books that well it's actually about the guy that got out the books in, on behalf of her mother right. but anyway right, she's right. pulled out of it and there's this moment where she thinks like okay enough of that time to go to work or something and i i was so amazed by like the exact correct timing of that like the timing of of her thinking that it was like yes that's exactly how it would be like i can see that so well like you know she she at some point she just like isn't actually prepared to destroy herself and so she has to get back up even right. though everything she said to amelzine is actually completely true you know mm -hmm. like <laughs> mm -hmm. it's like mm -hmm. all of the terrible things about the like insanity and and like impossibility of of survival are, are all true but like she's not actually prepared to destroy herself and so she needs to get back up right right well and i think there's two there's a question in there of like you know is it is it that like eight Melusine was not helpful or like she was actually helpful in coming down and trying to console her. And it's just like, we're not able to have catharsis between the two of us, but it's like still good that you like came down and like that helped, <laughs> you know, once you leave, I'm able to like figure that out for myself a little bit. Yeah. It's not clear. I mean, yeah, it could be either way. Aunt Melusine yeah. is like a really interesting character. Also, we haven't really mentioned her much, but she's like, yeah. Especially when you find out that she's Theo's mother. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff about motherhood in this book that I feel not particularly able to comment <laughs> yeah. on directly, but yeah. that I found very interesting. Um, there's a lot of uh, thinking about um, mothers, but also thinking about children and thinking about one's sort of complicated feelings towards one's mother feeling abandoned by one's mother but also feeling like one doesn't want to have children or like one doesn't like children or or at least one is indifferent to children the various characters have different reactions to to children and mothers but right there's a lot of different and and much more complicated than typical like typically mothers represent in a lot of literature this like pure ideal of like you know like perfect nurturing love. and care yeah, and exactly. take care of you and all of that is very complicated by the very real range of opinions that that characters have towards their mothers and about children yeah yeah well that um, you know also like hashtag relatable right there so yeah it was super interesting um on the one hand aster uh has a uterectomy because she doesn't want ever want to have children right you know, by choice by right. choice 
Um, she's eager to do it. Um, on the other hand, like, you know, you have Aunt Melazine who's very indifferent sort of to children. She doesn't, she has had many children. She doesn't mm. hate children. She also doesn't right. particularly want to deal with them. Right. Well, it's like <laughs> I, both, she's both had biological children and also like just raised a number of children, right. whether or not they were hers. And then she reveals at some point that she had the experience, of course, of having her biological children taken from her. Mm -hmm. mm. And that the, the sort of, and, 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 and you can get the sense that although she isn't particularly interested in raising everyone else's children, she loves Theo. Um, and, yeah. and, and, and she like really, just has no way of like society prevents her from having a real relationship with Theo mm -hmm. because like he, she can't let him know that she's his mother and right. he's not allowed to have been taken care of her, you know, right. <laughs> as a child. Right. And, and it's like maybe in the new order in the ship, that's something that will change and they'll be able to realize that. Or like, it maybe not. Maybe that's just a thing he will never know in his life that that's actually his biological mother. Yeah. You know. I'm actually. I, so what did you think about what what do you think happened at the end of the book? Like, what do do you think it's it's clear what happened? Do you think it's. Um, uh, I, I will admit that I have just because of the way that the podcast recording has gone, I've read several other novels since finishing this one. <laughs> um, so be more specific in okay, your okay. question. So Cause I, I, feel, I, I yeah, will yeah, remember what you're asking about, but I feel like I need a little bit more specificity. Yeah, yeah that's fine. I was thinking in terms of the revolution, uh, the sort of like uprising, put it that way, the uprising that clearly involves a lot of people revolting against the existing order in the ship, armed people, right. lots of them with some organization do you think that that succeeds or do you think that like my, my reading was that it was very ambiguous about whether yeah. that would even succeed or not well uh, i think you know the question of what it means for a revolution to succeed exactly is yes ambiguous. also ambiguous yeah like a revolution typically has both explicit goals mm -hmm. and implicit goals right 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 and there's different and, parties to it you know right and also like a lot of explicit goals it's possible to succeed in some of your explicit goals and fail in others like that's probably the most common thing when it comes to like yeah. a, even successful revolutions yeah they certainly um, successfully killed the sovereign right like it seems like there's going to be like a power shift of some yeah. sort. At the very least, Lieutenant is no longer sovereign. Right. That's and something. Like, And will there be sovereigns who are as powerful in the same way anymore? Like, I don't know. It is complicated by the fact that they are now in orbit around Earth, or at least like within accessible yeah. range of Earth. Like that yeah. change that, you know, it's like. And people know. <laughs> do they? Well, that, I guess, was also somewhat ambiguous. That's also but ambiguous. At some point, Aster, said, Aster explains the situation to her bunkmates and tells them to spread the word, at least some part of the word. Oh, so it's okay, unclear. Okay. So they could I missed know. that that was about Earth as opposed to just about everything else going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she does it, she, it, does, it did seem to me that she explained also about Earth. But okay, what was unclear cool. was whether or not they were going to spread the word about that part, too. Right. Or okay, whether they were sense. just going to spread the word about um, the actual re revolt. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they can know. It would be possible for them to know. Right. And certainly the various people sort of like took Aster up, you know, the, the sort of mob like took her upstairs, you know, up decks towards the shuttle bay. 
Right. Right. And they know there's some, right. Yeah. So people know something's going also presumably, I mean, like we don't, one of the interesting things about the novels, we see almost none of the like workings of the like upper classes oh, of yeah. the ship in any yeah. way. So it's like, does anyone within like those social classes like know about earth? Like what, how does that information get out? What are they going to do? Like, who knows, you know, like shrug emoji, like all, all sort of like, not only is it like, I don't know, but it is like impossible to know because it is not written. (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah, I thought that was interesting. I, I, um, I just, I, I, I think so I, w- I will really say well that done. like the the revolution was obviously it would, like the way I would look at it mm-hmm. the way I look at it is like the revolution was successful or not like good like even while mm. it killed a lot of people including like people who don't want to die through that kind of thing mm-hmm. it was also like a necessary like push back against like a bad social order. Yes. Agreed. Right. And it's like, that's the problem with revolutions is that like people die, even like good, innocent people who don't deserve to die because like the social order is really bad. Like it's so bad that in order to push back against it at all, like a lot of people are going to die. Um, And that doesn't mean that the revolution is at fault for killing them. That means that the social order is that bad. Like the status quo is that bad in the first place. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, I, I totally agree. I think it's, it's clear that this is, this is necessary. There's no other way. There's no way the Lieutenant is going to do anything other than be worse in the future than he is now. Like right. there's, he's like a constant function of brutality. There's right. nothing, there's no input you can give him that will yield anything other than brutality. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so he has to be eliminated. Like there's no, there's no way I think to think about think about that character of the of the of the lieutenant other than as this like monster right you know especially oh my god the scene where he tortures aster and he's he says something like the sovereignty is forever that was like some real good cosmic horror good in the sense of being like powerful and impressive (laughs) yeah 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 no 100 (laughs) percent. like (laughs) and there is you know right it's and so that, that is like, where, you know, the book, like the, you know, this like divine sovereignty, like this kind of divine yeah. right of kings, you know, it's, it's interesting that the book plays both that like both a slave society and this like divine sovereignty, like it, it, it places both side by side, even while you know, in reality, those two things often like didn't come side by side in the real world, at least in my understanding of history. Like it's much more likely to be like a society based on like serfdom than chattel slavery with a racial element, right? Like chattel slavery with racial element is like a product of democracy ultimately, or at least like Republicanism. I think it's more complicated than that. I think the actual chattel slave empire of the southern american states um was very theocratic in a lot of ways i mean the the sort of ultimate justification the 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 way that the idea of blackness and whiteness and slavery sort of the way that those ideas evolved into the like were created and then evolved into the their forms that they held under the height right, of the old south. There was definitely a theocratic social order, like a hundred percent, with like and, you know, like men at the top. But I, I like, there's a difference between that 
and like Louis the 14th, right? Like there's a difference between that and like divine right of Kings sovereignty is forever. Like Hobbes type shit, <laughs> you know? And that, I, I guess I don't know how much of a difference that is. Like it, it interesting. It, okay. I, I think, I think it's sort of, it's tough to say because, um, you know, there, there, there's like, there's this idea of like a, a, a kind of total autocrat. Um, but the, the master of the plantation is a total autocrat. And the yeah, fact the that sovereign goes beyond like the master of a single plantation. Well, it's a really big plantation, you know, like, I, I, I don't think so. I don't think that that analogy holds up fully. I don't think that you can look at this like spaceship as just like a single plantation. I think it has, it's like definitionally more complicated than that. I think it's tough. Cause even if you think, if you think more broadly about this Southern gentry as a class, yeah. um, they were not a, the, 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 like, like oligarchy in perfect equilibrium is like a technical possibility, but like in practice within an oligarchy, relations are highly autocratic. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I think like, if you think, for example, if you think, if we think about like the Russian empire mm -hmm. or, or the old South, I mean, these are, you know, you could sort of try to contrast those things and think about like the, the, you know, the, the, the czar as theocrat, um, the czar as like God's chosen, you know, right. Versus like, versus what exactly? Well, it's like some sort of oligarchy, you know, where like a small number of people get together and decide who their like leader is going to be or who their leaders are going to be and like choose from among their own ranks. Um, mm -hmm. there, there's, there's some difference there. Like, you know, I, I, I mean, there well, definitely also is, the southern but, states were a part of like a larger system not all of which were slave states right and like i think that also further kind of complicates that is there's no like single yeah. like king figure in the same way as there is here so like maybe you could talk about like mississippi or virginia but then as soon yeah, as you include like clearly. the united states as a whole like that i think analysis and that kind of analogy breaks down yeah, it's tough to say because like we are not given this like very detailed description of how the upper decks are supposed to actually work. Mm -hmm, like clearly mm -hmm. there's a, some sort of council that selects the sovereign and they have some kind of real power and there's like a lieutenant sovereign and there's like a guard and like all this right. other stuff and we don't really know how any of it well, works. Well, no, the lieutenant so no, there's no lieutenant sovereign. His name is lieutenant. No, no, no but His like first there's name a, is lieutenant. But no, 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 I, I, I know. But there's a, um, there's another character who they impersonate in the in the uh the revolt broadcasts. Oh, broadcast. yeah, wasn't wasn't that the like leader of the yeah? Of the he, council but he's or somehow like the that? second in command. He's like sure. Yeah, I right, forget right, what right. his real he, title he, is. Something he like also that. has political yeah. power. Right, right, yeah. And I mean, but even in the case of like a divine kingship, like the there is always political power like that different people have. It's not like the king. Yeah. So the, the, the main thing, the, the main thing that I think power. is important here, I think, is like that that. Um, a theocratic state, the, the the theocratic nature of the state, like putting aside like how autocratic it is, the mm -hmm. theocratic nature of the state seems like very closely tied to the actual nature of the old South. But I agree that's with that. also I like totally, totally. That's like a, and in so much as we do see any elements of the like upper decks, it is clear that their like kind of social structure shares something with. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, like it's, 100%, it's 100%. also true that the book is not like a, you know, 
super close direct allegory it's it's right. much more complicated than that right, as we right. as we've noted and um, and that's that's where that's just for me it's like i do find it interesting and i'm not in a like i have a really solid point about this way but i do find it interesting that it's like sure i i agree obviously the southern states were like theocratic like nightmare states totally but that it's like that paired with the specific like divine right sovereign and again like very much like the hobbes style of you know like what a sovereign mean i mean it even like takes the word sovereign from hobbes right and so like that's interest that's interesting to me like the pairing of those two particular kind of like political ideas um, not in a way that I have any like grand idea about what it means, um, but I, I liked it and I liked it was one of the things that kind of it complicates things a little bit and makes it so it's not just like a clear analogy. And I think that that is like good and useful. I think it both allows a story that like just on a story structure, it makes for a more entertaining story because I have less of a sense of like, Oh, well this is clearly going to happen because this is an analogy for this. And that's an analogy for that. Like there's less of that. So the story is like less predictable and that makes it like more fun and engaging. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I do, I do know what you're saying. Like, I think, I think I, uh, I think I, I, I felt like when I was, talking earlier about um things that i liked about the book i there was this um this sense of like a protestant millenarian cult aspect to the kind of mm-hmm. upper deck uh theology where it's like you know reminded me a little bit of like you know 1600s england like protestant millenarian cults and they're like mm-hmm. incredibly rigid you know views about how to properly behave in public and like all the incredibly long sets of rules that they had about like decorum and like the way that Theo <laughs> acts also is like particularly oh, yeah. Theo's particularly, religion uh, is something we haven't even talked yeah. about and like that is wild and it's also like we, it's also interesting because like that name Theo makes me think of Eastern Orthodoxy which makes me think of like yeah the Russian Empire and, and like so there's all these interesting yeah. connections between like the different it's it's just too complicated to kind of like to put in a box easily. So yes. I, I know what you're saying. Like, right, right. And I like that. That's most of what I'm saying is I liked that complication. I liked that. Like we can have this argument about like, what exactly does it mean? Because I think that those arguments are both fun and also like, again, it decontextualizes it a little bit. I like, like to your earlier point, like there's an element of like, because it's not to me just like clearly, well, yeah, the ship is a plantation and like, this is this and that is that it like in that defamiliarization of like the way I typically think about this stuff, I feel like I have to like engage a lot more with the specifics and I like engaging with the specifics. Like I, I like doing that because I think it, you know, Mm -hmm. In the pre-read, I had this like kind of like existential crisis about like why even bother reading literature? We should just like read history, <laughs> blah blah blah. <laughs> you know, being somewhat uncharitable to myself, but um, like I, I when I re- when I edited the episode and like re-listened to it and everything, I kind of had this thought of like, you know, like I think one answer, like one answer that like future Adrian has to past Adrian is that. Well, you read literature because literature can do stuff that history didn't. 
right? You read literature partially because like you can look at the specifics of a thing that didn't happen in that specific way, but still look at those specifics. You can like imagine new types of political structures, both good and bad. You can imagine like different reactions to the political structures that did exist. And like, it's useful to do those things. And, you know, yeah. And, and so I think, I think that's part of like my answer to myself of like, this was a useful book to read. It was both a like in some ways like utopian and dystopian book at the same time and not in the typical way where it's like the utopia is secretly a dystopia, but in a way of like, oh, even in this dystopia, like people can treat each other well and like make the right decisions and like try to build a better world. Man, I don't I don't know if I'd want to live there, though. No, no, <laughs> definitely low on the list of like science fiction very worlds we've low. read about that I want to that I'd want to live in for sure. Hundred percent, hundred percent. The uh, it is interesting. It's yet another view of religion in science fiction, which we it have is. had ve- many views of uh, across the many books that we've read. I didn't expect that going into. I, I didn't know that was an element of it, but I'm really glad it was there. Mm-hmm. It like made it feel a lot richer. Yeah. Do you have any um, thoughts about how you would design a generation ship? To a, oh, I think I asked you something you similar. Asked, in, I was going to say you you yeah. definitely asked me the exact same but thing. But do you have any different thoughts now? How's that? No, just that it's all bad. It's generation like it's ships equals bad? Yeah. It's like, I mean, the question of how to build. Well, definitely like, without know, spiders, they're bad. We know that. You and your spiders. A spiderless generation ship is doomed. Oh, I think that's I, clear. I'm I'm so I am reading uh the follow-up to semiosis and uh mm-hmm. it's really good and you would really like it. Oh, there's no it. intelligent plants either. This ship was doomed from the get-go. I think that's clear. <laughs> All hail Stefland and Portia. <laughs> oh, Stefland is amazing. Um um, yeah, Porsche. but yeah, no, I don't. Uh, unfortunately, I feel like I can't. Like, I don't have a pat answer. I don't have a very. There is good, no pat, pat answer. Pat, like, I yeah. think <laughs> I don't have a very good. Like, yeah. I, the reading this book, if anything, does make me feel like oh, like the generation ships. Like, how to build an equitable society in a generation ship? Like, I don't know, man. I don't. Well, know. What's really interesting is like the idea of generation ships. I don't know how that trope got its start, but like at a certain point, it becomes like of direct practical import, like how we think of organizing these things, if humans are ever going to actually do something like that, because it, I like, I don't know, man, the more that I, I agree with you, the more of these generation ship stories that I read, the less like, it sounds like yeah. it's ever going to work. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Right. It like gives you a little bit of the, like, uh, you know, Oh, what's the paradox? Why am I blanking? like an answer to like why we don't see like other aliens in the universe, you know, it's like, Oh, because generation ships don't work. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I they don't all know. enslaved each other and then killed each other and then all died. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, you don't even need nuclear weapons for that one. <laughs> yeah. But isn't yeah. spaceship earth just one big generation ship? Yes, one that we're like slowly killing through global warming. So let's, you know, <laughs> yes, one where like all these problems exist. And that's why it's like both useful to like write and read these stories and also depressing too. gasp. But maybe as a final thought, I'll ask you this. Do you find yourself depressed post unkindness of ghosts or what is your feeling 
having finished it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yes, although that I don't know how much that has to do with unkindness of ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> Are you asking, am I in a depressive oh, episode right no, now? Because that's okay, a different question. Fine, <laughs> I was um, thinking- <laughs> no, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty okay. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of like dark, dark humor about that. Um, no, I, I, the book is one where like if humanity ever gets itself into that point where there's, you know, same with, um, with the spider book that we were talking about, uh, children of time, uh, children of time. like if for, in both cases, like if humanity ever gets itself to the point where there's literally only one spaceships worth of human beings left in the universe, like, yeah, then I'm pretty depressed. Cause I think at that point we're yeah. fucked. Oh yeah. Like, we're Odds prolonging the inevitable at that point. Not like, Oh, oh yeah. great. We'll go somewhere else and build some great new society. Like you gotta take care of the earth that we have. Odds are real, real bad. Yeah. So in, but, but I, that said, you know, am I, you know, a complete pessimist about like climate change? Do I think that like humanity is going to wipe itself out? Like, no, probably not. Like civilization as we understand it will probably fall in the next century. But like, I think that humanity will survive that. Even if we like, you know, never have this kind of like technological civilization again. It's interesting. I, I felt curiously sort of, I don't know, amped by the end of the book, like <laughs> in the sense of being like, okay, yeah, like I feel it's this weird thing where the end of the book, basically, you know, there's almost like this decision that, that, that Theo and Astro are sort of like finally kind of feel like they're willing to martyr themselves. Like they're willing yeah. to, to, to die fighting for, for something they believe in. And, mm. and like that brings with it a kind of freedom. It feels like. And that was a sort of uplifting feeling, the feeling of like, yeah, okay, yeah, at some point, at some point, maybe I'm not there, but at some point I could be at that place of, okay, it's all fucked, but we'll go down swinging, you know, right? and, and, and sort of feel good if we, if we, if we perish in that way. Right. Well, and I hope that there's like different ways to go down, right? Like I hope one of the ways yeah, to maybe go down literally. swinging is like to like be kind to each other and build like small communities that are like kind and equitable, even if like they're within a larger, you know, society that is not always. Yeah. And as you pointed out, in fact, the, the, the sort of exact thing that happens is that Aster succeeds at doing the, at like figuring out what's really going on and like taking action that in one optimistic scenario could eventually lead to a much better society, a much better, you know, future for humanity. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's not like it's sort of, it's well done in the sense that I think that it's not overly optimistic. It's, it's it's, the the narrative doesn't like leave you feeling like, yeah, it'll all be fine, but it's, (laughs) (laughs) but, but it's, it's a sort of like, it's fair. It's, it's, it's an, it's in no way nihilistic, I think. No, Although, it's not a nihilistic yeah. book. So it sort of gives you, I think it sort of makes you feel like, yes, we have what we need to, to sort of struggle. We have what we need to like keep struggling and, and like, mm-hmm. and like that really, that really can make us feel free. That struggle. Maybe, maybe this is, maybe this is what you're saying. Um, it's almost like, even if, 
even if we're all doomed or even if it's like even if there's like a very like even if the chances are dim mm-hmm. that doesn't mean the struggle is not worth fighting precisely yeah that like is even, the feeling that even i even if things are bad and that's kind of what i meant when i said it's like like a secret utopia it's like it's not yeah. that it's actually utopian it's that, that there is some element of like if not even hope but just like, like you can still do good in a bad world and like yeah. that good is worth doing you can even find if the, that good yeah. means sacrifice and that good means like pain for a lot of people yeah and like you can still work towards a better world even if that like the perfect world is like essentially impossible it doesn't mean stop working towards something better i like it i think it's a good place to end yeah i like that do my best (laughs) uh cool well yeah any any other final thoughts no dude that's that's where we okay okay cool cool (laughs) well in that case thank you matt thank you everyone for listening uh, thanks to WJ for our music and Noah Bradley at noahbradley.com for our artwork. Uh, we're at Spectology Pod on Twitter, spectologypod at gmail.com for email. If you want to tweet at us or email us, we always enjoy it. Um, I got a couple of replies to the, um, the fan casting over Twitter, like people liking and not liking different aspects of it. That was fun. Um, yeah, and so I guess we should say next month we're doing kind of something. We've we've recorded some of the episodes, not all of them yet. So, I, but it's like we're reading classic science fiction. Um, some of it better known, some of it less well known. All of it like sort of like the '60s or earlier, I think. Um, and we're doing several different authors, several different books. We're gonna have one pre-read and then a different post-read with a different guest for each of those books. Uh, it's going to be fun. Like I said, we've recorded some of the episodes. They're really fun. It's really kind of interesting and different for us. And um, yeah, that that's fun. So December will be that. And then January will be back with like uh, another book. And then we have a few guests lined up for next year too, uh, who I'm not going to announce yet because this stuff can always change uh, early or late. But, you know, we have some guests lined up, some cool stuff coming up. Next year will be fun. We'll have to do our like end of the year kind of like rankings and at some point as well. Um, you know, kind of like not rankings, but like kind of like re- review the 2019 reading and in, in review will be fun. Um, Matt's rolling his eyes. <laughs> I like it. So I'm going to make us do it. <laughs> I love content. Who doesn't? I like talking about books. Even, even I when... do like that. That is true. Can't so, do that. Alrighty, uh, I will catch you later. Um, Peace. Peace out, dude.